From the Ecology Prime Studios, this is Circle for Original Thinking. I am your host, Glenn Apodicio-Perry. Welcome to Circle for Original Thinking, America's electronic talking circle for visionary thinkers. An open forum for fresh ideas and timeless wisdom applied to today's political and ecological challenges. Each week, we bring together creative thinkers from a variety of different traditions. We ask the hard questions on the important issues of the day. Political polarization, climate change, virulent viruses, and other symptoms of humanity being out of balance with the natural world. Our goal is to recreate a whole and sacred America, a new and improved version of E Pluribus Unum, from the many to the one, and this time not leave anybody out. Join us as we embark on this quest. Many Native Americans are still suffering from historical trauma from contact with European societies over the past 500 years. The negative impacts of colonization upon Native peoples have been undeniable and devastating, and the effects are ongoing. The colonists introduced numerous infectious diseases into Native populations that had no immunity for those. It pushed Native populations to accept Western education and boarding schools, where they also forced acceptance of the English language and other mainstream cultural and religious values. Many sacred sites were renamed in ways that were offensive to Native peoples. Beginning in the 1830s under Andrew Jackson, outright genocide was committed for much of the remainder of the century, culminating in the massacre at Wounded Knee that killed over 300 Lakota people. This genocide extended beyond the human. It included genocide of the buffalo, the main food source for all the Plains Indians. All told, colonization wiped out 90% of Native populations on this continent, and the fate, of course, was even worse for the buffalo. At the same time, Native American culture has been remarkably resilient. Native traditional ways have continued, even though many of those traditional ceremonies had to go underground for some time. Ceremonies such as sweat lodge purification, pipe ceremonies, and uweepies continue. And importantly, these ceremonies are conducted for the benefit of all people and all our relations that share the planet. The late 20th and 21st centuries have seen a revival of Native American ways that have been prophesized in many traditions. White buffalo calves, considered to be harbingers of peace, prophesized in the Lakota white buffalo calf woman oral tradition have been commonly born since the 1990s. Something hopeful is being reborn. I like to call this time a Turtle Island Renaissance, which like the European Renaissance before it looked backward to go forward, which is why the symbol of the European Renaissance was the god Janus, the god of doorways, whose face looks both ways. In an era when mainstream economic and cultural values have taken us to the brink of extinction through climate change and rampant pollution, the nation and world has returned to welcoming indigenous wisdom. But why should Native Americans trust this newfound interest in their ways? Can Native wisdom and ceremony bring us back from the brink of ecological destruction? 
Can we bring psychological and ecological healing for victim and perpetrators alike? These are some of the questions we will be exploring today. Join us as we delve into the power of forgiveness, compassion, and love, and also the power of gratitude and ceremony with Lakota elder Basil Braveheart and his friend and mentee Mike Three Bears Andrews. Now I want to introduce our, our guests. First, Mike Three Bears Andrews, formerly known as Mike Two Bears Andrews, and the third bears for forgiveness. So if I slip, Mike, and it's two bears, then you're going to forgive me, right? So Because I knew you was two bears first. But anyway, Mike is a ceremonialist with a very inclusive definition of ceremonies that includes forgiveness ceremonies, holotropic breath work, shamanic drumming journeys, pipe ceremonies, prayer and healing circles, vision quests, purification, sweat lodges, uweepies, workshops, and more. Mike is a sun dancer, and he's a pipe carrier in multiple traditions, and he regularly puts people out on vision quests in the lineage of the Muscogee Creek elder Marcellus Bearhart Williams, who he met in 1995. And Mike has lived in Taos for the past quarter century, and that's where I met him, and we became good friends. And Mike became a board member of SEED, my old organization that focused on education and dialogue circles with Native and Western scientists, And Mike played a significant role in putting together the 2012 conference, Wisdom from the Origins, the Mayan calendar and other prophecies on the future of humanity. And Mike did all this in his second half of life. He originally came from the corporate world and and has academic training in chemical engineering, where he earned a Bachelor of Science and Master of Science degrees from New Mexico State University. And he taught secondary education at Laguna Acoma High School, where he had an Interesting epiphany you might tell us about. And Mike met Basil Braveheart years ago in passing, but it was in 2014 that Basil became a a friend and an important mentor to Mike. So welcome, Mike, to the show. Now I want to introduce Basil. Basil Braveheart is a, a living treasure of the Lakota Nation, a Lakota elder and teacher from the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota, some might call him a medicine man, but Basil would never call himself that, which is in part part of the reason why he's so respected. Like nearly a third of Native American children of his generation, Braveheart went to a Catholic boarding school, part of a long-standing federal policy whose goal was to eradicate Native culture religion, you know. Kill the Indian to save the man, or some nonsense they used to say, I think. But anyway, after 11th grade, Basil dropped out of school to enter the Korean War. The year was 1951. He was 17 years old. In Korea, the stress of war took its toll on him, and he began to drink to ease the pain. And after returning from the war, he became a a teacher, a school principal, and superintendent of schools. He holds dual master's degrees in educational administration and counseling. But gradually, he began to realize he needed some treatment for alcohol abuse, and he entered AA. He became a recovering alcoholic. But that's not the whole story. It's, it's, It's not only the principles of AA that helped him. He combined those techniques with the spiritual practices of his Lakota heritage. And in his 46 years of recovery since then, Braveheart has incorporated native rituals like sweat lodges, sun dances, and vision quests. And he's found these rituals to be enhanced by his passage 
through addiction, which is very interesting. Out of this came the autobiography of the spiritual journey of a brave heart. Now, Basil's altar is based on forgiveness, compassion, and love. And it's not a coincidence that the title of this podcast is the same. So Basil has become an extraordinary healer of historical trauma for both victims and perpetrators alike. And Basil credits his grandmother, as he just was doing as we did a prayer before we began here. He credits his grandmother for instilling in him the idea of healing ceremonies. His grandmother warned him against resentment toward the descendants of the massacre the perpetrators. She said, don't hold it against these people. Pray for them. So Basil has been conducting healing ceremonies for descendants of perpetrators and victims of the Wounded Knee Massacre of 1890 and the 1855 Battle of Ash Hollow, which was known as the Harney Massacre. And because of Harney's role in massacring women and children, Braveheart led an effort in 2014 to change the name of South Dakota's tallest mountain, Harney Peak, And Spirit told him that the name change was needed. The effort culminated in 2016 with the renaming of the mountain to Black Elk Peak in honor of the late Lakota Sioux holy man, Nicholas Black Elk. In recent years, Basil has organized many sun dances and large gatherings for forgiveness. The last ceremony had over 250 people from around the world, including African and Franciscan Monks. So welcome, welcome both to a very special guests, Basil Braveheart and Mike Three Bears Andrews. How are you today, gentlemen? I'm doing, uh, I'm doing good. <laughs> good, good. Okay. Um, I want to start in. Um, talking just a little bit about forgiveness and ask you a question about that because I find forgiveness to be a very interesting English word and quite frankly sometimes I worry about the uh, that the forgiver might maintain their position that they're right and that that wouldn't be true forgiveness and I you know I, I had some conversations with my wife Tomoko about this because um, um, she's Japanese and she once pointed out to me that while there are words in Japanese for forgiveness, the Japanese rarely use them. They would be more likely to use the expression mizu ni nagasu, which the translation of that is let the water carry it away. Let the water carry it away. So it's a very different feeling tone of that phrase. It's a, it's a true letting go. And uh, probably the closest equivalent to that Japanese phrase in English is the one, you know, uh, the, the only time I ever heard it was in the movie Casablanca, you know, when uh, when Sam, uh, Dooley Wilson says to Ingrid Bergman, you know, before she before uh, she asks him to sing the song as time goes by, she says, oh, it's been a long time, Sam. And he says, yeah, a lot of water under the bridge, <laughs> a lot of water under the bridge. So that phrase is in the English language, but I don't hear very much. Um, but I also understand that in Lakota, there is no direct translation of the word forgiveness. So I want to ask you, Basil, first to speak to us about what forgiveness means to you in your language uh, and your experience. And then we'll go to Mike. So Basil. 
I thank you. Thank you. Uh, I want to um, say I'm, I'm honored to be part of this sacred <clears throat> discussion we're having that for me this was um, the sacred teaching that my grandparents shared with me because if I it probably if I didn't have this teaching I mean I've been here I'm gonna be here today because when I went into the military, I experienced some some very challenging things when <clears throat> when you are trained to be a killing machine. Mm. And what this also does is takes you to a place of rage. So um, I can't thank my grandmother more to do the ceremony with rage as well as with forgiveness to, to keep me in line in a non-disruption in the sacred natural order of the universe. Now, when my grandma shared with me and some of my other cousins, she just finished a prayer with water. She was going to cook and she prayed with water and she sang the song. And she said, this water is sacred. This water is healing. Then she took the wood and held it up and said, this wood is sacred. And she lit the, lit the fire and said, this fire is sacred. And she sang the song. And the song was giving thanksgiving to the awakening. So... Forgiveness comes to us from what we refer to as Taku Wakan Shkong Shkong. A reference that is the divine, what, however, um, we, other different traditions refer to their divinity. Ours is Dalkawakanshkanshka. And I'm going to come back to it a little bit because it hooks into quantum physics. That's why I've been studying quantum physics for 40 years because of the language. But also I have been working with some linguists, linguistic scholars, and we found that the Mayan, the Celtic, Hawaiian, and Lakota language, and also for me, it included the Aramaic language that Christ spoke uses 140 sounds and the English language is between 35 and 40. And I'm not going to do an extensive dialogue on this, but I just have to mention that because it's very important. So when I said 
was the voice of the divine and it awakens us to, at our deepest center. So what my grandma said was, she said, whenever she experiences the vibrational gift of the divine, which in this case was a thought mm. that was voiced by the divine mind. But what she said, I take it this as a blessing because where there is chaos, where there is an absence of love, where there is brokenness, I experience this communication of the voice from the divine to guide me to this disruption of all of what happened that wounded me. Mm. The disruption that I need to come back to the sacred path where, what I said earlier, there is no disruption of the sacred natural order of the universe. And she said, when you, when you experience a message from the divine, you are blessed. It's a blessing. Mm. It's a blessing because like she said, wherever there's brokenness, there's healing. There's love. There's unconditional love. Mm. But also the blessing comes to us that it's time to make prayer. Mm. It's time to awaken to our center. Mm. It's time to awaken to how we drink the sacred water each morning and just ask the Creator to hear our act of thanksgiving. Mm. And by the way, the word Eucharist is synonymous with what Lakotas do. Mm -hmm. They don't call it Eucharist, but it's basically the same transubstantiation principle that takes place. Mm -hmm. So she taught us to drink water. And when we drink water, it makes a sacred prayer on a cellular of the sacred water crystals becomes awakened to a higher vibration. And she said, we Lakotas were doing this thousands and thousands of years. And so I researched that, and Dr. Komoda from Japan did the same thing. So mm -hmm. this, yes. this teaching awakened me more. My grandma never went to school. Mm -hmm. She never read a book. 
she never went to an organized um, Western, um, and I'm not critical, any kind of Western teaching. Right. But she knew this knowledge that she shared with me is equal to everything I have come in contact with since then. All the, the physicists, the theologians, and I have men, I have taken, read every book of Carl Jung, who first taught me the synchronicity, but my grandma taught me that before. Mm. And the observer effect. And my grandma taught me that. Mm. I don't observe the hawk. The hawk is not the observer. Or is the hawk observing me and I'm the observer? Or is it one that goes to what she said would become one? Mm. One in principle. Mm. So when she was talking about forgiveness, that's what we need to do is go to the center and give an act of thanksgiving. The word in Lakota for for forgiveness is daku wakan It awakening, but it goes to the word woki ktumza. Woki means to awaken. Mm-hmm. To wake, awaken who we are, we all we are embraced with the divine, twenty four seven. It's we that forget. Mm-hmm. But the you... blessing is when that the divine ishka is so compassionate and unconditional loving. Mm. We're reminded mm. to bring us back to the natural order, the sacred natural order. Thank you so much, Basil. That's so. That is already my. I feel an opening the way that you've described forgiveness, and I wanted to ask Mike if he would be so kind as to add to that. When, uh, uh, my my dear friend Mike, Three Bears Andrews, I've learned a lot from you as well. So what does forgiveness mean to you? Well, after listening to Basil, I have to say, wow. That, and that, I've been hearing these things out of his mouth, such w- wisdom, but there, there is, there's a level there that's above wisdom. And I, it, it's spiritual. It's a connection to that. He's lived that. Um, forgiveness to me, it's always been easy, if you will, because I, I get mad and I'm gone. Within moments, I am back down from being excited or upset. So forgiveness wasn't a big issue. But when I heard Basil talk about forgiveness is awakening your own sacred divinity and there's no room for unforgiveness, that intrigued me. That made me think. And this was right after I met him. His definition of, of forgiveness in Lakota. And then uh, when we started doing the forgiveness ceremonies, uh, he asked me to do one for a ceremony. And I had I, I tried doing something, but it didn't work for me, and I, I had to do another one. Uh, forgiveness to me is, 
exactly what he's saying. It's connecting to the divine. Um, it's a high level, if you will. Uh, what we're talking about here is more spiritual. I, I, you know, I've listened to four of the eight podcasts, and there tends to be a wisdom base of them. This, to me, is spiritual heart base. What we're talking about here. I mean, I, I have had while Basil was talking tears, and he says that tears the highest form of prayer, and that's where I feel I am. Um, mm-hmm. We're connecting here, the three of us, and the people that will be listening to this at a very deep level, and it gives us an opportunity to move into something beyond. I hate to say it, but beyond love, but that really is what to me is divine love. Mm-hmm. It's this. It's this being, and maybe it starts with forgiveness, because we can't, if we hold this rage or the hate or whatever in our hearts, I don't think we can connect with the divine as easily. It, it, it It's a step in that direction. So I, when we had the forgiveness ceremonies, we I did too, and then I attended Basil's at a Sundance, after a Sundance, when we brought together many, many people from around the world. And at the end... Basil said, I want you to go home and do forgiveness ceremonies in your own tradition. Don't try and copy mine. Mm-hmm. And that makes so much sense to me because mm-hmm. I I do Lakota ceremonies with someone else leading. I don't speak Lakota. I understand some of the words. But when he says go back and do your own tradition, that that tells me something. And so I started doing them. And I did I've done I think last year I did nine forgiveness ceremonies and I led seven of those the other two were basils so it's been important to me but all this unified teaching that basil talked about there there's a lot of stuff that that's peripheral if you will to forgiveness but that's that's what we're in that's that's what we're we're connecting through spirit mm. so that's kind of a long-winded answer, and I'll, I'll let you get back to your next question, but I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with the two of you. Well, thank you, and it's it's a beautiful experience, uh, and uh, uh, thank you both for, for very deep answers and uh, much appreciated. We want to talk a little bit next maybe about Ceremony, really, the way you're describing it, though, you know, uh, forgiveness, you've, you've both reframed it really as ceremony, as connecting to the sacred divine. That's, that's, that's a beautiful thought. And it, it, it's, uh, it takes me one step even behind the Japanese, let the, let the water carry it, although the water is this, is this, is a, is a divinity. And so you're connecting to the sacred elements. You're connecting to the water. You're connecting to the light. You're connecting to the air. You're connecting to Mother Earth. Um, and that's very beautiful. And for, for, since time immemorial, people, people have used ceremonies to, to, to reset them to reset their relationship with the natural world but for the benefit of some listeners i I would like to ask you first to kindly explain first of all what is the difference between ceremony and ritual and then i'd like you to to uh, speak about what ceremony means to you and uh, uh i'll i'll go back to basil again 
So, uh, what is the difference between ceremony and ritual, and what does ceremony mean to you? Well, you know, I'm going to have to uh, say that uh, ceremony and ritual um, is uh, a secular and linear uh, word that is difficult for me to to translate into what we call Whenever we have a ceremony, whether it be uh, a Uwipi mm-hmm. or just a ceremony for healing, the original word that they used was Lowampi. Mm. What does Lowampi mean? It means song. It means singing. Mm. But they also it means the song is singing the singer. So who is involved? Is it the shka? Is it that takuakashka moving from a physical consciousness to the sacred consciousness as some of our teachers talk going through the hollow bone mm. and move your relationship with the divine from the left hemisphere to the right hemisphere. So then it can be part of the function of the heart. Before that, it just facilitates because the brain is unable to to, um, to recognize the difference between truth and falsehood. Mm. So it's the heart. Mm. That is the primary center. Now, I'm going to explain a ritual, because I'm using, again, ritual. That's um, we're talking to an audience that understand what the audience, ritual and ceremony. Um, I don't know if, if a Western secular ritual um, understands there is no difference between a symbolic act and a real physical act. Mm-hmm. So when I work with veterans who have post-traumatic stress disorder, they have committed something that is the first world war, they call that the broken heart. And then later they call that um, let's see, what was it now? Do you remember what that was? They used to, I can't remember what it was. The war to end all wars. Well, it was broken heart in First World War. So anyway, I use a buffer robe, and of course I smudge everything, and I use the pipe, the sacred chinupa, And I use rocks. To me, the rock, the rocks that I use, now this is out of the box stuff that a lot of people may not understand. So when I awaken the rock, the the rocks, it's the same principle we do with the water. It's the same principle when we elevate the sacred breath. It's the same thing when we when we when we bring the light to our ceremony to enlighten our mind, the landscape of our soul, 
so we can become in the center of our divinity. But I asked them to bring one of the rocks that we had a sweat lodge with, that that particular rock has been purified with the sacred fire. Hmm. So I pour water on the rock that they're going to use to cool it off. So I want that eventually, that rock, to be held in your hands. I'd ask them to take that rock and hold it and then bring it to their heart without any words because sometimes we can we can be, we can disrupt the rituals by talking too much mm. so this ceremony or this ritual or what we're doing to heal needs to be done and to invite the skull to be part of the healing so when they hold that rock to their heart the prayer that I ask them to do is to allow the heart to heal the rock, which represents your pain that the veterans are carrying. Mm. Then I then I hand them some water, and and I tell them not to drink the water, to pray with that water. Then I ask them to hold that rock in front of them and blow that sacred water onto that rock. So the ritualization of the water carrying the trauma that the veterans are carrying is putting it into the sacred rock, our first nation to take that pain, to take that trauma. And then I ask them to bring it back and the prayer of their Wokrikstusa and what they did. I give them a choice to either say it silently or share it with the rest of the people in the lodge. It could be some other veterans. And then I asked them to hold it again in front of them and blow seven times. And that also to pray that the breath is releasing the toxic energy that is part of their healing. Then the next thing I do is I ask them to hold that rock over the center of the sweat lodge. And I say, you need to listen to your body when you heal. The body is primarily been demonized. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go who said that, who teaches that. But I said, your body needs to be part of the healing. You're inviting all of your relatives to be at this healing. The water, the breath, the fire, and the earth. Mm. and the divine, which is in the center of that altar. Mm. And when they blow it, and then when they hold it, I want them to recognize what is what they're feeling. And sometimes they say, I want to hold this rock as long as I can. I say, go ahead and try it. Do it. But your body is telling you you can't do it. Eventually, you're going to start 
the Mother Earth is going to ask to take it from you. Mm. That's what's really happening. That's the language of the universe. What you're thinking is the language. And so Mother Earth is telling you to let, give it to me. I will take care of it for you. And so you slowly listen to your body. This is too heavy. Damn. The rock is too heavy. It's likened what you're carrying from the war experience. You let it go. And eventually they can't hold it. So just very gently put it down into the fire. That's beautiful, Basil. Wow. That, I, I can feel that that will be effective. Oh, thank you for sharing that. So I turn to you, Mike. So um, for you, is there a difference between ritual and ceremony? And what does for and what does ceremony mean for you? Because I know ceremony means a lot to you. So so I I turn it to you, Mike. Uh, thank you, Glenn. Yeah. And thank you, Basil. Uh, I certainly appreciate your ceremony. One of the things I've seen about Basil is he can make a ceremony out of nothing, if you will, mm. to help people, um, including, I, I, I was going to tell a story, but I don't think I will. Um, but it, to me, ceremony may help me touch the divine. I may feel something greater than myself, and I may help people touch the divine themselves. So that's, to me, a ceremony can have that potential. Um, and, and for me, one of the highest ceremonies is with the sacred pipe. That is, that, that's my communication with, with the creator, with divine. So my prayers with a pipe are my highest level. And then coming down below that, I, I don't know if it's hierarchical or not, but below that would be the vision quest. Because people then have an opportunity to go out and, and experience whatever they need. So that, that would be a, an important ceremony for me. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a direct experience. It's like Basil saying there. It's paying attention to, to our experiences. I'd like to throw it back to Basil with a question if he'd be willing to share. What we last talked about was the... Christ Beatitudes on forgiveness. It really, really impressed me, Basil. Would you be willing to talk about that a little bit? I became very interested in the Beatitudes because it really resonates with Lakota vibration, okay? Because I first caught caught my attention with the first set, the first sentence of the Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven tells me that heaven is a location. That's my interpretation. It may not be anybody else. In our Lakota way, it's not an interpretation. Heaven is everywhere. Mm. We're immersed in the divine heaven, the skull. And so the first sentence in Aramaic, the way Christ says, O cosmic birther, radiance of vibration. So when I heard radiance, which is light, or the holographic principle in which our Lakota traditions are part of, and also how the radiance is used to heal, you radiate, you 
You can do self-enlightenment. You don't have to be a, a saint or you don't have to be a graduate from a theological school to to be a priest or a priestess to invite the divine to be part of the holiness. And that's what I hear Christ talking. And when especially when he said, teach my people their home, and theologians and biblical scholars discussed, they didn't know what that meant. Now they're saying it means the sacred breath. The breath of the divine, the breath of our ancestors. So also there's another healing that I know that Christ did. And it's also when he did some of his healings in St. Thomas is Nagmahari, I think that's how you pronounce it, in 1945 with Mary Magdalene. There's things said in her that's absolutely congruent with the indigenous healing. Mm. So because he's using those 140 sounds. Mm-hmm. And so when he uses the breath as part of the healing, he's talking a primordial, a primordial infused healing and teaching because Native Americans do that. Different, different tribes use different, uh, like mm-hmm. we would use the eagle bone whistle mm-hmm. to blow on, I use it to awaken the reptilian brain. And the reptilian brain being awakened, they become part of, of the universe. No beginning, no end. And then it becomes a non-cerebral, non-cognitive in spiritual orbit. So this is not a cognitive or spiritual um, um, healing. It is mystical. It is divine. Hmm. So that, and also I've studied, I've studied with a Zen priest, and what he talks about is very similar to Lakota. And I also been, I uh, stayed with some uh, Sufi people and Buddha. It's amazing how they. All it goes to the same place, different language. But I think the key is the language. And I hope I'm not, uh, I don't say this to discredit the, the English language, but um, I always wonder why they call it oxygen when it's, when breath is divine. Yes. It's Woni Wakan. The Woni Wakan Lakota means holy and sacred breath. And they say that in some of the churches. Our Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. They're talking about breath. I wish they would go to the breath. And when they talk about um, theology yeah. or psychology. I got a degree, a master's degree in psychology and counseling, but not once did they talk about the psych, they soul. <laughs> they talk mostly. Oh. <laughs> That's why you had to read Carl Jung, because I had the same experience in uh, college. I also got a degree in, a couple of degrees in psychology, and but I learned more psychology outside of the classroom than inside the classroom. But thank you. Thank you for that. No, I, I think you're, 
you're both getting at something really beautiful and it it cuts across many many different traditions and there's many access points it seems to me to 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 spirit but you know and there's many different names i mean like people say there's many different names of god there's many different names of spirit i mean you know in the 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 ruach the the spiritus the numa the you know they these these are all about the breath you know they're all about the about the holy breath that that is that is coming through that and it is the breath of the ancestors that's coming through us if we are aware of that and we can connect in kind of this timeless way to this beautiful healing wisdom so you're you 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 brought up some things that I'm going to you know I Basil I, I Mike was a board member of a, a seed institute and when and and I was the director of the seed institute and for for 13 years we held uh, dialogues between uh quantum physicists mainly other western scientists uh native scientists I say scientists because science just means to know so you know uh, and we also had linguists there. You know, my my buddy Dan Moonhawk Alford was a linguist that used to describe himself as standing at the lonely intersection of quantum physics, language, consciousness, and Native America. But it might have been lonely. It might not have been that many people passing through, but it was a beautiful, uh, it's a, like a river confluence of energies and that's where and it was out of that and out of his one of his mentors Leroy Little Bear that these uh that Leroy Little Bear approaches David Bohm and he started these dialogues between uh quantum physicists uh and native elders and you know in those dialogues they uh, they came, the first time that they met and it was really the natives that had built that that proposed the idea to David Bohm and David Pete to have this dialogue. So they were kind of building a bridge over to the Western side, a lot like you do, I sense. And they, they seem to come to an agreement that, you know, everything in the universe vibrates. Everything is interconnected. You know, inside an atom, they, there's really no longer any things. It, it's just all motion. You know, and I, I, I get that feeling, you know, the uh, Moonhawk who hung out with the Cheyenne, I think it's the same word, maybe in Cheyenne, Lakota, skan, skan, you know, about, is that true? Is that the same thing about sacred movement, or is that the same word, Basil? Well, I, I don't know different? what it sounds like. It, yeah, something in sacred motion. Yeah. And that's how our language is. A language, our language is a verb language. It's not yes. noun. Exactly. So when I went to school and they put a period at the end, end of the sentence, I told grandma, I said, it really causes uh, trauma in my brain. I understand. So that, that actually was the basis of how we, we brought those, those, those dialogues together. I mean, we, we had noticed the difference in the language and everything was movement and process and relationship in, 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 uh, in native languages. But also, you know, these quantum physicists like David Bohm realized, you know, the English language was not adequate for describing that realm. So he, he brought them together. So I guess what I want to ask you uh, both is, um, you know, in, in your worldview, is, you know, is God a noun? 
Is God a noun, or is God uh, something else that is that uh, that is always in motion? Um, and uh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a, a I'm gonna surprise you, Mike. I want to ask you first now if you can comment on that. Um, is God a noun for you, and then we'll go to Basil. In addition to my Native American ceremonial practices and many good teachers, Bearheart, Marcellus Williams, and Basil and others, uh, I did a lot of work with Adyashanti, who came up through the Zen tradition. And he described reality when I was going to his retreats as there's three elements. There's one is ego. That's real. And we need that to balance our checkbook. It's not something we get rid of. Number two is oneness, everything. We are one with everything. And number three is emptiness that underlies that from which it arises. And that makes sense. In the Zen tradition, that makes sense, those three. But apparently now he is saying there's a fourth element, and that is the divine, which is not exactly a Zen tradition, if you will. But I think the divine is everything. I mean, that, you know, it's a noun, a verb. Yes, it's a, it, it is. And it comes back to me that the divine is love, whether you call that a noun or a verb or whatever, it is. It, it just is. Um, okay. Wow. Okay. Um, and and Basil, so is 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 God or the divine and uh, a noun in Native America or for you or or is it something else? It's God. It's infused in all creation. Mm. So it's in the tree. That was one of the first prayers my grandma told me. She said, Grandson, So the tree became one of my most primary gifts. Also the sunflower. Because they're all over the road and the trees are all over. So that's my prayer. I'm participating in my divine relationship 24-7. And so she said, when you see a tree, what you don't see supports what you do see. And the tree also doesn't discriminate. You can be of any color, of any gender, of any height or any education, and be in a shade. That's amazing teaching for me. But she also said, nothing ever dies. And she kind of <laughs> alluded to that we have a round-trip ticket, and only God can punch this return trip. And she said, <laughs> but nothing ever dies. Mm. It just rearranges itself. Oh. So energy doesn't die. Uh, yeah. On a cellular level. Yeah. On a quirk level. Yeah. It all be, is part of our universe. Now, let me say one more thing that I think that. Sure. I think, I don't know when, when, uh, the language of the soul, which I'm going to call science, or it's, it includes quantumness. Quantum, quantum can be said it's a unit of specific energy that is electro an electromagnetic field. 
the 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 Hindus call it Akasic field, and Christ call it Pasha, same thing, and we call it Shkuma. So um, Einstein knew Bohm, Dave Bohm, and Bohm knew Levi Buell. Levi Buell was a very prolific anthropologist. He spent some time with the Lakota people mm. and other tribes. I don't know. I think it was the Arapaho, Cheyenne, probably a Crow, Blackfeet, and other ones. I, I'm not sure of that. Baum asked Levi, I said, go off and live with those people. There's something very strange about them. And he said, Einstein is very wondering about that. So he spent some time there and he learned the language. And when he came back and then he said, Baum told him, he said, now give me a very short definition of what you experienced. He said, I live with some people that live in a mystique participation with nature. They're part of nature and nature is part of them and they're one mm -hmm. they are water they are breath and they're light and they're a tree they're the buffalo they're the eagle the hawk mm. and that's where that observer effect comes in mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. Campbell also talks about but Young talks about it mm. wow so is yeah. is quantum physics and door that's awakening us and this pandemic also it to me is a nudging or awakening us hmm. but the largest virus that i'm hearing from the divine is hate prejudice and greed hmm. that's and what is the virus for those I mean, what is the, what do you call it? What's, what's it, when you get a shot, what do you call it? What's the antidote? Vaccine? The antidote of vaccine, yeah. Okay, what's the vaccine for that? Mm. Mm. that that's very, very beautiful, Basil. And, I, and uh, you, you picked up on something in the field, or as you said, by the way, when you said, what's it, Pasha? Christ, that's Aramaic you're speaking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I never heard that before. That was such a such a beautiful vibration. I, it's very different than uh, uh, so. Uh, you know, in the remaining time we have, I, I kind of wanted to um, ask you both. You know about, and you just brought it up. You know about the you're talking about the virus of of, uh, of prejudice and hate. Um, we're also dealing with a, uh, uh, a virus of uh, COVID-19. And it seems like it's almost those two viruses you spoke about, the virus of prejudice and hate, the virus of COVID-19. Although I'm not blaming anything on COVID-19. It's, 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 uh, that is, you know, it seems to me it, there are, it's our relative. I mean, viruses are part of the world. I mean, germs germinate, viruses I would say they're alive because, you know, I mean, scientists sometimes say they're not alive because they don't have a, they need a host body, but so do, so do we. We need a host body. We need the Mother Earth and the atmosphere. So, so, uh, what do we do with the, what, right now though, people are, people are afraid. People are afraid about COVID-19. There, there, there's been a lot of death. There's been a lot of suffering. Um, and how can 
what is the guidance we can offer to to people who are afraid about COVID now in this time? You know, how can they come back into balance in order to be healthy and to make the ecosystem healthy again? What is it that you can say to them at this time? What ceremony might you do if you were with them right now? Um, and well, just have a couple, you know, few minutes, just a two or three minutes, four minutes each, if you can. Okay. I, I'm sorry, but okay, go ahead. Yes. Okay, my simple answer is they need to stop outsourcing their cognitive and cerebral spirituality and go to their center. That makes sense? Yes. yes. We're outsourcing it through Googling. Also, maybe they're looking for a kind of um, a McDonald's drive-up to get something. <laughs> Say, give me some spirituality. <laughs> it's in there. It needs to be awakened and being brought back into a collectiveness. And you have to talk to each other. Husbands and wives need to talk to each other. Grandmas and grandpas and children, some of them saying, that's a challenge. And the other one is these kids saying, we can do this, we can do that. You know what that is? Privilege. Uh, let me ask you this, though, Basil. So I know that when you, were, when you re- recovered from alcohol, you, you said that you made alcohol your relative. You honored it in a certain way. Is there a way for people to make COVID their relative at this time? Exactly. They need to make, because it's, it is part of nature. Mm. It's on a cellular quantum level. Bacteria. Bacteria is also has its shadow side and has its light side. Mm. And that's who we are. So embrace and make them a relative. That's what I did with the, with my PTSD. Mm. That's why I did it with alcoholism. Mm. And one of the first things that I was reminded is not to judge people. Mm-hmm. 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 Because when I judge someone, I'm injuring myself. I'm also injuring them. And they said, because... When you say you're sorry, you said you're sorry a lot of times, hundred times to your wife. I won't drink again, and and finally says, "Do you know what sorry really means? It means that you did something to injure someone, mm-hmm. and also yourself. But the big part of that is, I won't do it again. How come they don't teach us about sorrow? When so." Am I a hypocrite when I say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry? But so I just, I'm just roting it. It's just a rote language, a rote narrative. Mm. When the divine pushed me on that. Mm. Beautiful. Thank, thank you 
so much. I, I want to ask Mike if he if he has some last words he'd like to share with us. I mean, I, I feel so much gratitude myself, but I but I, I I'm going to turn to you first, Mike. And okay, thank you. I, I do, and I'd like to ask Basil to do the quote from the Beatitudes that begins, "Forgiveness is obtainable." When we talked about that the other day, that really made an impression on me. Did you do that? Which one? The cosmic birth through radiance of vibration? No, forgiveness is obtainable if we recognize that the past illusion. Okay. Um, Jesus stated that the forgiveness is the attainable through the realization that the imagined events are really, in fact, illusions of the mind. Mm. Mm. And when I do some of the teaching, what I do is they say, "What does it mean?" I say, "You need to, you need to search that for yourself. It's in there. There's not just one." That's, and the thing of it is, like that's what I mean. You're outsourcing. You can Google it. I know I got some relatives that are very bright, but when we talk about something, I ask them. They say, "Let me Google it." That's outsourcing <laughs> their <laughs> gifts. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Um, anyway, thank you. Thank you both very much. I'm, I'm filled with. Are we going to stop? You just we're, got me well, started. We don't have to stop, but the podcast has to stop. We can keep talking after we after we after we stop recording. I'm, the conversation can continue, um, for it, and in the in the akashic field, it can continue forever. You know, the vibrations never need to end. It really is beautiful to come together in this in this way and to to. Can I say one thing before I stop? Yes. Oh, you got time? Yes. Please, okay. please say something. Um, yes. My memory is challenging now because I was involved in an explosion in Korea and it gets some brain trauma, and I had malaria, and also I drank for twenty four years, which is uh, which uh, the alcohol can. Can go through the membrane of our our brain and take away a lot of cells, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then my PTSD. Mm. So my grandma told me she said, "Go to your heart. It has the function. It's all on Akota for memory." And I found the evidence in heart math in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. They found out there's 40 protons in the heart that has the function ability to memorize. So I'm doing ceremonies to move that to my heart so I can have, so I can have, um, I don't know if it's going to take place. I'm going to have to have a ceremony. I just talked to a medicine last night and we're going to do that to move the memory center to my heart. Mm. Mm. I'll let you know if it happens because right now I'm experiencing a lot of uh, Alzheimer's things. <laughs> Old timers. Really? <laughs> Old timers or Alzheimer's? I'm going to, next week I'm going to be 87. <laughs> yeah, well, you're doing good. You're doing really good. And your heart is good. And Mike, and Mike, Three Bears, his heart is very good, and he's helped so many people as well. So thank you both for for being on this program. I'm sorry that it has to...
come to. It's not really an end. It's just the end of the program. This program is made possible in part by Select Books, Waterside Publications, Bizgenics, and the Ecology Prime Media Channel. Native flute music by Orlando Secatero from the Pathways CD. Liberty song by artist Ron Crowder, written by Ron Crowder, Jim Casey, and Danny Casey. Post-production editing by Scout Media Strategies. The Circle for Original Thinking is a grassroots think tank whose mission is to seek out the deep origins of contemporary thought in order to remember and restore heart-centered wisdom for humanity and all our relations on Earth. For more information or to volunteer to help produce this podcast, go to originalthinking.us or originalpolitics.us, and you can also find and purchase my books, Original Thinking and Original Politics, there. And for a limited time, you can purchase Making America Sacred Again hats or Masa hats which are on the website, originalthinking.us or originalpolitics.us. And these hat sales are for 100% of the net proceeds will go to support the Navajo Nation COVID-19 Relief Fund. And the Navajo Nation has more cases per capita than any place in the United States. So please support this cause. And thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And until next week, many blessings, good health, and well-being to you. And thank you, Mike, and thank you, Basil, for a wonderful show. <laughs>